Our epistle lesson is from Romans, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have ab obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the Word of the Lord. Several years ago, when we were still living in Banner Elk, I had the opportunity to teach a few Bible classes at Lee's McRae College, and I think it was because of that that one day a um, young woman from the school uh, brought with her to my office a, a woman uh, who was also Muslim. Now, I was pretty sure they were there, not because I was the preacher at the Stone Church in the middle of campus, but because they had a question. And what I discovered was is that the, the young American woman who brought this Muslim student to me wanted me, I think, to convince this Islamic stu this, uh, this Muslim student that the Trinity was the right way to understand God. Now, if you don't know, Islam is one of three great religions that believe in one God. And, of course, it's Islam, and it's Judaism, and it's us. But we're the only one who sees God as being available to us or being known, if you will, in these three persons, or sometimes we say three personalities. Now, in all honesty, I'm not sure anybody was there that day to understand anything. I think maybe they were there to argue more than anything else. But I'm embarrassed to tell you I didn't get very far. Uh, I didn't succeed very well in my ability to explain. Today's Trinity Sunday. And a wise fellow said a few years ago that if a preacher's got any sense on Trinity Sunday, they skip church. You'll notice Shane has gone with youth group <laughs> to a mission trip, so I guess that means he's a lot smarter than I am. And part of it is because it is so difficult for us to talk about the God who we know in this three-person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we say. The Scripture, you know, actually does use other indicators for the Trinity, but that's the three we know best. It hadn't been that long ago that a British writer who had been converted to Christianity said that he had given up Christianity after his conversion because of what he called this ridiculous idea of Trinity. In a nutshell, he said, it was what Christian apologists did after Jesus was dead and gone in an attempt to make Christianity make sense. And in, in that way, he said, he had, it had simply become a pagan bunch of hot air. Well, I guess that's better than some of the things he might have said. But I'm here this morning to tell you that not only do I believe that this Christian understanding of God as Trinity is right, I think that we 
almost instinctively understand that because we've been in positions to see God in those different personae, if you will. Now, we may have difficulty talking about Trinity because it is not an easy subject. But just because it is difficult doesn't mean it's not true. The Bible never uses the word Trinity, not once. But throughout the Scripture, and if you noted in the Gospel lesson today, as well as the Epistle lesson that I read for you, it refers to God in those different ways. Holy Spirit is mentioned prominently. God the Father who has introduced us to truth through Jesus the Son. So all of it's there just because the word Trinity is not used. And so from the earliest days down to the present, that's the way the church has understood who God is. The old story is told of St. Augustine walking along a beach puzzling about this idea of Trinity, and he comes to a little boy, and I guess children have always been fascinated by the beach and waves, even uh, uh, 1,600 years ago. But here he is, and a little boy is digging a hole in the sand. And Augustine stops, as adults do, and speaks to children and says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm digging a hole to put the ocean in. And Augustine said, at that moment I realized my understanding of Trinity was I was trying to dig a hole to put the ocean in. Because it's bigger than human beings are ever going to fully understand through our philosophy. Okay, I'm at the bottom of page 3 of the sermon. And I'm starting to see eyes drift closed. <laughs> Trinity's not easy. So instead of thinking philosophically about Trinity, let's talk about it in the way that the Bible tends to talk about it. It's not an abstract philosophy with nice, simple, easy answers, one, two, three. No, when the Bible talks about Trinity, it talks about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And Trinity's all wrapped up in that. So let's take it up from that point of view. A great many people in our culture here in the West, even if they are not Christian, can speak of wisdom or the great causality that stands behind the universe or something that you and I as Christians would say, ah, what they mean is God the Father. That the one who is behind everything we know. Not everyone thinks that, of course. But we understand that. We also understand that God is bigger than just a force, bigger than just a being. We can say God is creator without saying how or when creation takes place. Simply that God stands behind all of that. And so, in some ways, it's almost easy, even in our world, to say, yes, there is the God who is the creator, the one who continues to create, the one who stands behind all that we know. We Christians know that as God the Father. So that was pretty easy. We also live in an age where people are interested and anxious because we've tried so hard to explain everything that people want a little bit of mystery. 
And so the Holy Spirit very frequently gives us at least a glimpse of that, that idea that there is part of God or God Himself that is invested in us in ways we don't see or know. So it may be that Holy Spirit is also one of those parts of Trinity that we sort of instinctively understand. God the Creator, God the One who is with us. So maybe the hard part of understanding Trinity is this person of Jesus. What is it we are saying when we say that Jesus is also God? That really is the claim that not only sets Christianity apart from all the other religions of the world, but it is the claim of this epistle reading for today. We have peace with God, and you can read that, the Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then later on, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Trinity, see? Told you it was there. Now, I've had people say to me, you know, I can believe Jesus was a great philosopher. I can believe he was a good man and a fine teacher. But what do you mean when you say Jesus is God? Well, what do you say? How do you prove the unprovable? How do you convince someone? You know, there's all kinds of evidence that I could use or perhaps you could use. We could talk about the life Jesus lived, the laying down his life for us, the miracles performed, all of those things. But that doesn't necessarily convince. Use a different kind of example. Um, when I was a child, when most of y'all were children, I'm sure somewhere along the way somebody said to you, George Washington was a great president. And you just accepted that because you didn't know any better. Now, later on, you read a little history. And maybe if you were like me and you got really interested in history, you read about this fella and you realized, wow, he really was a great president. Okay, do you believe that George Washington was a great president because of what you read later on? Or does it really fall back on what you was told when you first started out? See, it's not really provable. You can't prove some things. They simply are what we have always understood. The real problem with this idea that Jesus is God lies not in the name Jesus but in the word God. And it's because we think we get to define what God looks like. If I say God, some of you, I won't say all, but some of you immediately begin to think of an elderly gentleman with a long snow-white beard who controls everything much as a conductor controls the orchestra. Right? I mean, isn't that one of the kind of visions of God? But that's not the vision that Scripture gives us. That's our interpretation of what God may be like. What we're doing is making a hypothetical being that looks like we think God should look like. Not asking the question, what does Scripture say God looks like? And what has tended to happen over history as we have tried to define who God is, is we make God to be high and lofty. Well, God is high and lofty. But we make God to be such a distant entity that we don't think we can have contact with God. That's the way we tend to paint God. 
But the church, Christianity, has always said that when you want to know God, at God's very best, at God's very deepest, there's only one place you find that. That's by knowing Jesus. Jesus is the one, he says it himself, Jesus is the one who tells us what God is like. You want to know God? Then you better be thinking about the life, the ministry, the actions of this one who is called Jesus the Christ. Because that's how we know what God is. So often when we use God, we're painting our own little picture the God who does this or doesn't do that, we're not asking, does this God really look like Jesus? How often have we said, I wish God would stop the rain. I think we're over 10 inches now above normal, right? Who says God's supposed to stop the rain? We act as if God is the causality and every time it rains, God's standing in heaven saying, okay, let it rain a little more. Doesn't work like that, does it? Don't we understand that God has created a universe that has its own set of laws that God rarely interferes with? So who are we kidding when we try to create God in our image instead of the image we see in Scripture? If you look at the person of Jesus, He is not the picture of the God most of us grew up with. Jesus is the one who is born a human being, who suffers, who dies. And when he lived his life before resurrection, it wasn't as if Jesus went around the world walking three feet above it. Jesus was human as we are. Jesus was a party goer. He liked a good party. Ooh, that doesn't sound like God, does it? Sounds like Jesus. He enjoyed a good time. There was any number of occasions when the really religious people got offended because Jesus was having way too much fun for a religious person. Doesn't that tell us something about who God is? N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, is a pretty famous New Testament scholar. And he says, when most people think of God... What they're really thinking about is the vision of God in a cheap 1950s Bible movie with their dreamy, dreary Jesus with lofty pronouncements who stands off at the distance staring at the sky as if looking for visions. I think it's a, I think it's a great description of the way we often think of, of God. But if you begin with Israel... If you begin with the Old Testament and work your way forward, what you begin to discover is that's not who God is. That's not the way God has behaved, not in the beginning, not now. What the Scriptures have led us to understand is that God is not the stern parent who's out there waiting for us to mess up to come and get us. No. God is the same wonderfully merciful, involved God that we see in the person of Jesus. God hadn't changed. In Jesus, we begin to see that fulfillment of God. Again, N.T. Wright says, 
that the great phrase from Isaiah, the Lord has bared His holy arm. He said the best modern translation for that is, God rolled up His sleeves and went to work for us. What a great description of God. Much more personal, much more of the God we see in Jesus. How easy it is for us in the midst of any Sunday morning to begin to think of God in this divided, three-person, separate entity. The Father who creates, the Son who saves, the Holy Spirit who is with us. But that's always this God who's one and three. God is never just the Father and then just the Son and then just the Holy Spirit. No. God is always all and yet distinct. Theology calls it unity with distinction, which is probably more information than you wanted. Most of the time when we think of Jesus as God incarnate, Jesus in the flesh, we think that somehow this man Jesus is born and God elevates him to be God. That's what the Romans did with their emperors. That's not what the New Testament says. What the New Testament says is that God pours himself into this flesh and blood human being and becomes like us. Because if we're ever going to know God, that's the only way we'll ever know it. The Bible is wonderful in its illustrative material. You remember how often Jesus uses the concept, the Lamb of God? We know what a lamb is, and you've all heard me say this before. But what about a culture that doesn't know what a lamb is? When they first began to try to uh, translate the New Testament into the Intuit or Eskimo language, they didn't have a clue what a lamb was. So how do you translate the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world in a language that doesn't have a clue what a lamb is? Some of you are smiling. You've heard me say this before. Jesus becomes the seal pup of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there's not anything, in fact, there's everything right with us understanding the God who wants so much to find a way to be close to us that He is willing to be us. You want to know about Trinity? Trinity is the way God deals with each one of us. Trinity is the way God appears to us 
and appeals to us and works in us and in this universe, not way back then, but right now, every day, in every way. If we claim we know Jesus, then we've seen all of God we're ever going to see. But it's all of God we ever need to see, too. So, wake up. We're going to get out of here early today. Wake up. Trinity's not as complicated as you think it is. Quit trying to make it a philosophy and make it a way of understanding how God deals with you. So what if you can't explain it to your Islamic neighbor who wants to know? Neither can I. It's what we know and feel, not what we can always explain. For we believe that the God who comes to us comes as we say at the end of every service, as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. And the band has figured out when I'm ending. Amen.